All right, print hustlers. Uh, here's another edition of Shop Talk. I am Matt Marcotte, and today I'm sitting with uh, Jim Pico, CEO of Marathon Sportswear. How are you doing today, Jim? Good. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. All right. So I'll give a, a quick little intro on you, and then I'll let you kind of take it away from there on, on more about you. You guys are a ten auto three manual print shop. I've known you now for probably two years, something yeah, along at that. Least, I think. Um, worked with you. Had had the pleasure of getting to work with you and. Um, have admired a lot about your work style and what you guys do over the years. So kind of wanted to uh, pick your brain on who you are, what you are, and how you work. So go ahead and give a little quick on, on how you ended up becoming CEO of this <laughs> great, great spot. Marathon is a family business started by my dad in, in Beverly on the south side in 1980 in our garage. He rented a uh, manual machine and started printing. He was a big uh, runner uh, and he ran a number of marathons and five and ten k's in the area and everywhere he went he he'd get a t-shirt at, at the races as a, as a giveaway so he thought you know what that's a good idea i think i'm going to get into that market he was a, a high school football coach and teacher and he was having a growing family so he decided to try and uh, start his own business and and that's where it kind of bloomed from and it just grew and he worked at extremely hard over the years he brought in a partner who worked extremely hard uh, I worked there as a kid folding shirts and eventually printing shirts he's got six children five of them work here I'm the oldest of the of the six and I came back in here full-time about 10 years ago and we just tried to adhere to his principles of uh, hard work low price high volume high quality printing and and grow the business kind of modernize it where we could and uh, we've gotten to this point. So we obviously owe a lot to him. We all kind of have tried to follow in his work ethic and push this uh, company to whatever limits we can get to. That's amazing. How long have you been CEO now? Uh, probably about six years, seven years maybe. I came in, got into sales, and kind of just looked at an overall picture of the business. There's always been hard work. There's always been a dedication to quality and high-end printing. But as my dad and his partner got a little older, their workload increased, but kind of the modernization of the business, they didn't notice, or they didn't have time to notice. Um, so when I came in, I tried to look at some things that could kind of modernize uh, the technology, both in sales uh, and in production. Uh, and as that's gone on, we've just kind of grown in that capacity, and I've been fortunate enough to bring in a couple brothers and a sister, and kind of got the same objective to grow the business, and, and that's where we we've gotten to. That's awesome. That actually really nicely segues into one of the first questions I had for you. The last shop talk I did was with a, a Chicagoland shop. It was a, a smaller shop. I mean, they're doing great, but a smaller shop. You're at a whole different scale. I mean, you've got a lot of employees. Roughly how many employees do you think you have this time of the year? Probably about 75 or 70, 80. 75 employees. There's a lot of kind of mouths to feed, right? You got a lot of people you got to take care of, and then you've got that many customers to feed that beast. So when you're dealing with your customers, there's a lot of ways you gotta kind of like qualify and quantify what what customers are going to be ones you want to work with. When you're smaller, you're kind of just like mm -hmm. hungry hippo, right? You're trying to right. take as many as you can. Right. As you get larger, I'm sure you've found that sometimes you have to make some hard choices on who's not a good customer for you, who's not a good fit, and try to work with that. So what kind of metric do you use or how do you kind of look at that and when do you determine if someone's not a good customer for you or do you kind of find you, you always try to just keep that hungry hippo mentality and just take as much as you can as frequently? What, what is you guys' practice and thoughts on that? It's difficult because 
we do contract work and we try and keep our contract percentages somewhere between 40 and 45 percent of our total business. Now that contract work is in many cases there's not actual long-term contracts in place. Nothing is guaranteed uh, in this business for the most part or at least what we're trying to do. So you're always worried about keeping those machines running. Mm -hmm. And with the direct-to-customer business uh, there's an ebb and flow to it but you're always concerned with trying to grow business. Now, there's times when that hurts you because you'll be you'll take orders that are not beneficial or profitable for the business. They're too small uh, in many cases, or they're too difficult in some cases to turn a profit on. We've always probably erred on the side of taking as many jobs as we could mm -hmm. rather than turning down too many. And I think that's probably the advice I would give. There's a lot more work taking it that way. There's a lot more headache in it. But if you can deal with it at least one time with a customer, at least two times with a customer, that's when you get a feel for, does this have potential? Is this a mm -hmm. possible relationship worth building or no? It's very hard to tell with one order right. what it's going to lead to. So we try to take as many orders as we can initially. We talk about it in the, within the walls here, building relationships, almost building partnerships with customers. It's rare that a customer just needs a shirt one time. Mm -hmm. So if we can build a relationship and a trust, and if that comes at a, at a loss in the, in the first order or breaking even, but it turns profitable down the line, that's what we kind of look at. Yeah. Um, Do you follow up like you say, and I absolutely agree, build that relationship, kind of like building trust with somebody, right? right? You get there, then once you get there, you're good. Now, has it ever kind of like bitten you? Have you kind of seen it and gone, you know what, we, we're on like order seven now of this sure. person kind of being a bit of a pain, and at that point, it's just more of a matter of, by that point, you hoped to have guided them to what you want, and so it's kind of on you if they're still doing that at that point, or do you ever hit a point where you're like, all right, this person's just kind of abusing it, we've got we've to say no to an order? Has that ever happened? Yeah, yes. Um, and again, that's a hard thing to do, and we don't want to do it, because right. you never know. You never know when somebody, an order or a customer, can come back and bite you. But at a certain point, and I say to the salespeople here, if somebody walks into McDonald's and wants tacos, at some point... Somebody, a CEO at McDonald's said, we can't do that. We're not mm -hmm. doing that. So at some point, when somebody wants something that you just can't give them, or you can't give them and turn a slight profit at least on it, it's not worth it, and we have to say no. As you get bigger, in some respects, it becomes easier to say no because you've got more business behind it. But it's never easy to say no, no matter how big you are, because you never know what might happen. And, you know, your reputation is as important as any order out there. And if you jeopardize that with a customer by just saying no, there's means by which they can go on social media, they can go online, and they can tarnish your reputation. If that starts happening, mm -hmm. things can really get ugly. So, no, we try to take as many orders as we can that will fit into our mold of mm -hmm. what we're trying to do here. You know, if it gets to a point where we really realize this isn't going anywhere, we try and cordially say we're just not equipped to service this type of an order or this type of an account. We appreciate the opportunity, but we're going to have to uh, part ways now. Right, right. So I actually had another question lined up for the second question, but that kind of, I think, segues naturally more into the third question I had for you, so I'll go there first. One thing that I've mentioned to you numerous times now that I admire about your management style and, and being able to work with you 
is your demeanor, your manner, um, your personality. Very easy to get along with, easy to speak with. As I said, even keeled in many ways. Um, so I imagine when dealing with customers, especially when saying no to a customer, which like you said, it's never easy to do. Do you find that being someone that tends to always try to have a level head and be logical and nice with the approach, has that really helped with learning how to say no and getting people to that even if you say no to somebody, you can still maintain retention of, of your customer base? Yeah, especially with the customers. There's a certain amount of customer service that we strive for here from the top down. Whatever that approach may be, it starts with the customer and we'll treat the customer. We're looking for relationships and if we can build a relationship based on trust, based on a partnership, there's growth potential there. And if we don't treat the customer well, even at the beginning, it's a lot easier to fracture or split the relationship. So with the customers, as much as it might not seem beneficial initially, as much of a pain as it might seem initially, if we dedicate ourselves to that customer, to that project, we're going to see it through yeah. and then evaluate. We're not going to cut it short. Mm -hmm. We're not going to say, oh, this is more difficult than we thought. We'll tell them, you know, this is going to take a little more effort than we thought, but we're going to do it for you and then see where it goes. Within the, the shop, production, sales, art, shipping, receiving, accounting, this industry, there's a wide variance of skilled labor, unskilled labor, highly educated employees and employees who have a high school diploma. They're all within the same roof. They're all within the same building. I get frustrated like anybody else. This is a very difficult job. There's a ton of variables. You know, it, there's no quick fix here. You, got, you come, you work hard, you grind, and at the end of the day, you go home and hopefully start it again tomorrow. So it's very frustrating at times. My approach is, will I get mad? Yes. Will I yell? Yes, but I try not to yell at anybody in particular, especially in front of a crowd. And sometimes it does happen, unfortunately, but I try not to. Mm -hmm. I'll yell and I'll show frustration, um, but I'll keep it vague. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if I need to talk to somebody, I'll bring them into closed quarters and go over what we expected, what the mistake might have been, mm -hmm. see what their perspective is on it. It's just like with the customer. I try to build trust with everybody in the building. And you're not going to build trust by screaming at somebody and humiliating them in front of their coworkers. Right. There's important things that happen and can go wrong, and you can show frustration, I feel, for that. I try not to put it on any one individual in public. And when I do talk to them, I try and stay calm, see their point of view, because the retention of employees is important, mm -hmm. um, and I don't like to let employees go. For one, it's their livelihood. A lot mm -hmm. of them have been here a long time, and we have good people in here. So I don't want to let them go. Right. Uh, for two, it's not good for the business to have to constantly retrain. Turn over, over and over again. New employees. Have you always kind of had this, uh, like I said, even keeledness for the most part, or is it something that you've learned in this industry? I've learned it. it I've gotten better at it. At first, when I first came back in, every issue was a big deal it seemed mm -hmm. like I, mean, I couldn't see the the long term pick you know the long term out view right or a viewpoint on the on the business every day you'd see profitability here loss here mm -hmm. get frustrated the long term picture is what you have to kind of base it all on right and, so you look down you kind of start to be able right. to compartmentalize some of those issues a little better 
right. is that I, your family may be a little bit different than mine, but I can't imagine working with four of my siblings. Is that, does, is that ever uh, aware on you? Is that something that's kind of, you, do you look out and go, you know what, I'm, I'm blessed and lucky to have the siblings here, or sometimes you're kind of like also cursed? Is it, is it a double-edged sword at it, times? It is, and I'm sure they'd say the same thing. <laughs> right, um, right. It is, it can be difficult. It's a blessing because I know they're all going to work hard. Yes. I know we're, we're all going to pull from the same, uh, at the same end of the rope, and they're all 100% dedicated to the business. Mm-hmm. But there are issues, like with any family, yeah. brothers and sisters, and when it's on a professional level, it gets difficult. It definitely gets difficult. But in my view, the, the positives of having people you can really count on, mm-hmm. which is difficult, but knowing that you can count on your brothers and your sister, that outweighs the kind of the petty right squabbling that happens back absolutely absolutely i love it um so the last topic i want to talk on is over the last couple years i've been able to work with you you've made a lot of changes to the company that i've been able to see uh, in terms of uh processes and uh offerings when it comes to what what kind of decorations you do as well as different types of equipment and automation so mostly focusing on uh, some of your automation. Um, let's start off first with like the automatic reclaimer, the direct-to-screen, some of those things. A, a lot of times we look at automation as a good and a bad. Once again, another double-edged sword. You look at it saying, okay, well, I can cut a labor cost. And from a strictly numbers perspective, that's great. But from someone who also prides themselves on employee retention and building relationships and trust, that can be a hard, hard thing to go through. So looking back now that you've had, I want to say you've had the Reclaimer for almost a year now, mm-hmm. um, and you've had your uh, your direct-to-screen for two years? At least three. At, oh, at least three, mm-hmm. right. Um, so now that you've been able, able to actually get some data out of that, how do you feel the automation has been for your company when it comes to, uh, yes, the numbers for sure, but also the people that you're able to put in those places and the pride they have in their work? Well, the automation in the screen um, portion of the of production, the uh, direct-to-screen and the reclaim have been great. That was probably our biggest point of struggle in production prior to the, you know four or five years ago, and we really took a look at it and thought, we've got to do better. And those two machines, the direct-to-screen has been fantastic, and the, the auto-reclaim has been great, and we cut, we, I guess you can throw the... Uh, Unicoder, the auto coder, mm-hmm, yeah. emulsion coder in there as well, which we got. And they've been great. Um, and yes, labor has gone down back there, which is unfortunate. But our business, there's so much of an ebb and flow from busy season to off season. And when we talk about that retention, well, when it's January and February, we cannot employ the same number of people people we're employing when it's middle of summer, fall, right. early winter. Um, and those people leave, or a lot of them leave, because mm-hmm. they they go to find other work because they can't get a full 40 hours here, you know, the, the end of the workforce. So what we've been able to do with some of this new automation is we have dedicated employees who work the direct-to-screen. We've got dedicated employees now who work the auto reclaim and the auto code and they're constant mm-hmm. they're constant every day whether it's slow or busy we're going to give them their full hours and overtime if it's it's exceedingly busy so they can count on that 
Now, there were a couple kind of temp employees that we've either reshuffled into a different part of the business or we've had to let go. Mm -hmm. um, but the goal has been to grow the business so that if we went from seven people in reclaim down to four full-timers, well, hopefully the business will grow and we can bring in employees to work in a different part of production, mm -hmm. printing. And those four employees, and now they're not having to worry about their hours right. being cut as well. Exactly. You're kind of also, I don't want to say thinning the herd, it sounds bad, but you're, you're giving an opportunity for those employees to rise and shine right. to the occasion, and then they can actually carve out a career opportunity here, as opposed to feeling like another long-term temp, and which like, a lot of people feel like. And like you said, if they take the time to learn the new machine, which is not easy, mm -hmm. um, and they take pride in what they're doing, they become a more valuable asset to the company. Mm -hmm. And as they're a more valuable asset, their retention rate will obviously increase. Increase. So, so one question with that, getting to the last question, is with the automation, obviously those things are not cheap by any means. Looking at when you got them, do you feel you did it in the right time? Or in hindsight, do you feel like you probably should have pulled that trigger sooner? Or do you think you pulled it too soon? How do you how do you feel about that? I like getting different ideas on people getting into either an automatic press or an automatic reclaimer of these things. Once they're done, they've actually seen the return on the investment. Had they would they have done it differently knowing that the machinery in in the screen area reclaim and direct to screen, I would say yeah we should have got them sooner mm -hmm. because they've been so great for those two machines. I've got a couple machines and, and a couple programs I. I bought a couple of art programs, which were duds, and mm -hmm. I, I could have said, well, we should have never done those. Right. I think any time it works out, you wish you had it sooner. Right. But right. when it doesn't, you wish you never did it Necessary at all. Did it, so, yep. yeah, they, they've worked out great, and I probably should have done it a little sooner. You still have got to have the time to do the research, to oh, figure yeah. out what's best. You know, hopefully all the purchases you make, you, mm -hmm. you can look back and say, geez, I should have done that sooner. But that's not the case, right? And you've got to put your homework in, and you've got to learn because, well, you know, there's thousands of products out there, mm -hmm. thousands of, of, of different programs. You've got to be able to get the ones that you're pretty confident are going to work and, and fit be your needs, right? And, they're, and every shop's got different needs, right? Absolutely. So, so those two worked out wonderfully. I couldn't be happier, uh, but I've made some mistakes too. And you know what? It's part of the business. That's mm -hmm. why you put the time in. That's why you research. That's why you talk to experts in the in the industry. And um, you know, at the end of the day, you you pull the trigger on what you feel confident about, mm -hmm. and then uh, you put it into practice. And, and you know, God willing, it works out for you. Absolutely. And the last question that I have for you is one that I'm, I'm going to be asking everybody: is what advice do you wish you would have heard either when you started and got, came back six, six or ten years ago, whatever it was, or when you were younger and thinking about it, when you were watching your dad work, what advice do you wish someone would have like kind of thrown out there or, uh, or a piece of information someone would have thrown out there for you? I think as I kind of, as I transferred from being a kid and working to, a, to an adult after a, a different job out in the real world, my advice would be, and what I would have probably liked to have heard a little bit more, even though I'm sure I did, is looking back is, be confident. Mm -hmm. Be confident in what you're doing. And that applies in basically anything. But in this industry, there are so many variables. There are so many decisions that can or can't be made. Do your research. Ally yourself with customers and vendors who can be experts in the field. 
and be confident in your decisions. Mm-hmm. Put the thought into it that it deserves and then be confident. Because if you don't have that confidence, if you don't have that self-assured nature, it's very difficult. It's almost paralysis by analysis. I like because that. Because there's so much. <laughs> right. You can, you know, a business like ours where the CEO or the owner or the CFO or the, the sales manager Whoever's kind of up at the higher level of management, there's so much that still needs to be done throughout mm-hmm. the day because there's so many variables, and mm-hmm. you're just not that big as to where you've got somebody to handle every single faction of the business, but you're big enough that there are so many different issues that need to be tackled. So you've got to have the confidence to make decisions throughout your day, throughout your week, throughout your month. Be confident with those decisions. Even if they're wrong, because right. at least right. then you're going to learn from it. Right. Like you said, with picking different automation or different programs, you, you hit a point where you're like, all right, I just got to do it. And if right. you're going to see a fork in the road left or right and you don't move, right, that's not going to work. If you, you, know, you go left, should have gone right, you're going to learn for next time, right? We have a lot of business. We have a lot of customers. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can fall into a, a kind of a rut, come in every day and rely on that current business to turn over and turn over and kind of just ride the wave but somebody's got to be responsible for moving the company in the right direction whether you've got a thousand customers or whether you've got 10 customers there's always decisions that have to be made that will benefit the long-term growth of the company and the only way somebody can make those decisions is if they make them confidently if they have the knowledge the expertise and the help to make a confident decision along the way and you know, if you can be right on 60, 70% of those and be wrong on 30, 40, you still should be all right. It's You've got to have the confidence to yep. make those decisions and try and push the company forward. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I, I like that paralysis by analysis. I, I haven't heard that term before. I like that. That's good. Um, awesome. Well, Jim, I really appreciate your time. Uh, once again, Print Hustlers, this is Shop Talk uh, with Jim Pico of Marathon Sportswear. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it.